0: Welcome, In the Great Khan's Tent. History, literature, and storytelling. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we continue with night three with the continuation of the story of the fisherman and the jinn, leading into night 4 and the middle of night 5. There are certain things which are different from this episode as compared to the last. One of the most important thing to note here is that this is one of the first instances of a tale which we do not encounter and as far as my research has shown, has never been translated or even exists. That is, the story of the crocodile, which is mentioned by the sage Dubat. Furthermore, as we listen to the stories, I would suggest that the listeners try to interpret a deeper understanding of what the storyteller and consequently Shahrazad are attempting to convey. Aouzubillah minashaytan Nerejim Bismillah hiraman rahim. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the Beneficent King, the Creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars, and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the Day of Judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the thousand and one nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Shirazad continued, At the sight of this the fisherman was rejoiced, and said, This I will sell in the copper market, for it is worth ten pieces of gold. Then he shook it, and found it to be heavy, and said, I must open it, and see what is in it, and store it in my bag, and I will sell the bottle in the copper market. So he took out a knife, and picked the lead until he extracted it from the bottle. He then laid the bottle on the ground, and shook it, that its contents might pour out. But there came forth from it nothing but smoke, which ascended towards the sky, and spread over the face of the earth, at which he wandered excessively. And after a little while, the smoke collected together, and was condensed, and then became agitated, and was converted into a jinn, whose head was in the clouds while his feet rested upon the ground. His head was like a dome, his hands were like winnowing forks, and his legs like masts. His mouth resembled a cavern, his teeth were like stones, his nostrils like trumpets, and his eyes like lamps, and he had disheveled and dust-colored hair. When the fisherman beheld this jinn, the muscles of his sides quivered and his teeth were locked together. His pittle dried up and he saw not his way. The jinn, as soon as he perceived him, exclaimed, there is no deity but Allah and Suleiman is the Prophet of Allah. O Prophet of Allah, slay me not, for I will never again oppose thee in word O rebel against thee in deed. O marid, said the fisherman, does thou say Suleiman is the Prophet of Allah? Suleiman hath been dead a thousand and 800 years, and we are now in the end of time. What is thy history, and what is thy tale, and what was the cause of thy entering this bottle? When the jinn heard these words of the fisherman, he said, There is no deity but Allah. Receive news, O fisherman. Of what, said the fisherman, does thou give me news? He answered, Of thy being instantly put to a most cruel death. The fisherman exclaimed, Thou deserveth for this news, O master of the freets, the withdrawal of protection from thee, O thou remote. Wherefore wouldst thou kill me, and what requires thy killing me? when I have liberated thee from the bottle, and rescued thee from the bottom of the sea, and brought thee up upon the dry land. The Jinn answered, Choose what kind of death thou wilt die, and in what manner thou shalt be killed. What is my offence, said the fisherman, that this should be my recompense from thee. The Jinn replied, Hear my story, O fisherman. Tell it then, said the fisherman, and be short in thy words, for my soul has sunk down to my feet. Then, said he, that I am one of the heretical jinn. I rebelled against Suleiman, the son of Daud I and Sakhar, the jinn, and he sent me his vizier, Asaf, the son of Barkhiyah, who came upon me forcibly, and took me to him in bonds, and placed me before him. And when Suleiman saw me, he offered up a prayer for protection against me, and exhorted me to embrace the faith. And to submit to his authority. But I refused, upon which he called for this bottle, and confined me in it, and closed it upon me with the leaden stopper, which he stamped with the most great name. He then gave orders to the jinn who carried me away, and threw me into the middle of the sea. There I remained a hundred years, and I said in my heart, Whoever shall liberate me, I will enrich him forever. But the hundred years passed over me, and no one liberated me. And I entered upon another hundred years, and I said, Whoever shall liberate me, I will open to him the treasures of the earth. But no one did so. And four hundred years more passed over me, and I said, Whoever shall liberate me, I shall perform for him three wants but still no one liberated me. Then I fell into a violent rage and said within myself, Whoever shall liberate me now, I will kill him, and only suffer him to choose in what manner he will die. And lo, now thou hast liberated me, and I have given thee thy choice of the matter in which thou wilt die. When the fisherman had heard the story of the jinn. He exclaimed, O Allah, that I should not have liberated thee but in such a time as this. Then he said to the jinn, Jinn, pardon me and kill me not, and so may Allah pardon thee and destroy me not, lest Allah give power over thee to one who would destroy thee. The jinn answered, I must positively kill thee, therefore choose by which manner of death thou wilt die. The fisherman then felt assured of his death, but he again implored the jinn, saying, Pardon me by way of gratitude for my liberating thee. Why? answered the jinn, And I am not going to kill thee, but for that very reason, because thou hast liberated me. O sheikh of the Ifrit, said the fisherman, Do I act kindly towards thee, and dost thou recompense me with baseness? But the proverb lieth not that saith, We did good to them, and they returned us to contrary. And such by my life is the conduct of the wicked. Thus he who acteth kindly to the undeserving is recompensed in the same manner as the hider of Um Amir. The jinn, when he heard these words, answered by saying, Covet not life, for thy death is unavoidable. Then said the fisherman within himself, This is a jinn, and I am a man, and Allah hath given me sound reason. Therefore I will now plot his destruction with my art and reason like he hath plotted with his cunning and perfidy. So he said to the jinn, Hast thou determined to kill me? The jinn answered, Yes. Then said he, By the most gracious name engraved upon the seer of Suleiman, I will ask thee one question, and wilt thou answer it to me truly? On hearing the mention of the most great name, the jinn was agitated and trembled and replied, yes, ask and be brief. The fisherman then said, how was thou in the bottle? It will not contain thy hand or thy foot. How then can it contain thy whole body? Dost thou not believe I was in it? said the jinn. The fisherman answered, I will never believe thee until I see thee in it. Upon this the jinn shook, and became converted again into smoke, which rose into the sky, and then became condensed, and entered the bottle little by little, until it was all enclosed, when the fisherman hastily snatched the sealed leaden stopper, and having replaced it in the mouth of the bottle, called out to the jinn, and said, Choose in what manner of death thou will die. I will assuredly throw thee here into the sea, and build me a house on this spot. And whoever shall come here, I will prevent his fishing in this place, and will say to him, Here is a jinn, who to any person that liberates him will propose various kinds of death.'" And then give him his choice of one of them. Morning now dawned, and Shahrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. The fourth night. When it was the fourth night, Dunyazad asked her to finish the story, if she was not sleepy, and so Shehrazad went on. On hearing these words of the fisherman, the Jinn endeavored to escape, but could not, finding himself restrained by the impression of the seal of Suleiman, and thus imprisoned by the fisherman as the vilest and filthiest and least of the Jinn. The fisherman then took the bottle the brink of the sea. The Jinn exclaimed, Nay Nay! To which the fisherman answered, Yea without fail, yea without fail. The jinn then addressed him with a soft voice and humble manner, and said, What dost thou intend to do with me, O fisherman? He answered, I will throw thee into the sea, and if thou hast been there a thousand and eight hundred years, I will make thee to remain there until the hour of judgment. Did I not say to thee, Spare me, and so may Allah spare thee, and destroy me? not, lest Allah destroy thee, but thou didst reject my petition, and wouldest nothing but treachery. Therefore Allah hath caused thee to fall into my hand, and I have betrayed thee. Open to me, said the Jinn, that I may confer benefits upon thee. The fisherman replied, Thou liest Thou accursed! I and thou are like the vizier of King Yunan and the sage Duban. What said the Ifrit was the case of the vizier of King Yunan and the sage Duban, and what is their story? The fisherman answered as follows: The story of King Yunan and the sage Duban. Know, O Jin, that there was in former times in the country of the Persians a monarch. Who was called King Yunnan, possessing great treasures and numerous forces, valiant, and having troops of every description. But he was affected with leprosy, which the physicians and sages had failed to remove. Neither their potions, nor their powders, nor ointments were of any benefit to him, and none of the physicians were able to cure him. At length they arrived at the city of this king a great sage, stricken in years, who was called the Sage Duban. He was acquainted with ancient Greek, Persian, modern Greek, Arabic, and Syriac books, and with medicine and astrology, both with respect to their scientific principles and the rules of their practical applications for good and evil as well as the properties of plants, dried and fresh, the injurious and the youthful, he was versed in the wisdom of the philosophers and embraced a knowledge of all the medical and other sciences. After this sage had arrived in the city and remained in it for a few days, he heard of the case of the king, of the leprosy with which Allah had afflicted him, and the physicians and men of science had failed to cure him. In consequence of this information, he passed the next night in deep study, and when the morning came and diffused its light, and the sun saluted the ornament of the good, he attired himself in the richest of his apparels, and presented himself before the king. Having kissed the ground before him, and offered up a prayer for the continuance of his power and happiness, and greeted him in the best manner he was able, he informed him who he was, and said, O king, I have heard of the disease which hath attacked thy person, and many of the physicians are unacquainted with the means of removing it, and I will cure thee without giving thee to drink any potion, or anointing thee with ointment. When King Yunan heard his words, he wondered and said to him, How wilt thou do this? By Allah! If thou cure me, I will enrich thee and thy children's children, and I will heap favours upon thee, and whatever thou shalt desire shall be thine, and thou shalt be my companion and my friend. He then bestowed upon him a robe of honour, and other presents and said to him, Will thou cure me of this disease without potion or ointment? He answered, Yes, I will cure thee without any discomfort to thy person. And the king was extremely astonished and said, O sage, at what time and on what day shall that which thou hast proposed to me be done? Hasten it, O my son. He answered, I hear and obey. He then went out from the presence of the king, and hired a house, in which he deposited his books and medicines and drugs. Having done this, he selected certain of his medicines and drugs, and made a golf stick, with a hollow handle, into which he introduced them, after which he made a ball for it, skillfully adapted, and on the following day. After he had finished these, he went again to the king, and kissed the ground before him, and directed him to repair to the horse-course, and to play with the ball and golf-stick. And the king, attended by his emirs and chamberlains and viziers, went thither, and as soon as he arrived there, the sage Duban presented himself before him, and handed him the golf-stick, saying, Take this golf stick and grasp it thus, and ride along the horse course, and strike the ball with it with all thy force, until the palm of thy hand and thy whole body become moist with perspiration, when the medicine will penetrate into thy hand and pervade thy whole body and when thou hast done this, and the medicine remains in thee, return to thy palace, and enter a bath, and wash thyself, and sleep. Then shalt thou find thyself cured, and peace be on thee. So King Yunnan took the golf-stick from the sage, and grasped it in his hand, and mounted his horse, and the ball was thrown before him, and he urged his horse after it until he overtook it, when he struck it with all his force, and when he had continued this exercise. As long as was necessary, Duban saw the drug had penetrated into the king's body. He told him to go back to his palace and bathe immediately. The king went back straight away and ordered that the baths be cleared for him. This was done, and houseboys and mamluks hurried up to him and prepared clothes for him to wear. He then entered the baths washed himself thoroughly and dressed before coming out, after which he rode back to his palace and fell asleep. He looked upon his skin, and not a vestige of leprosy remained. It was clear as white silver. Upon this he rejoiced exceedingly. His heart was dilated, and he was full of happiness. On the following morning he entered the council chamber, and sat upon his throne, and the chamberlains and great officers of his court came before him. The sage Duban also presented himself, kissed the ground before him, and addressed him with these verses which he chanted. Virtues are exalted when you are called their father, a title that none other may accept. The brightness shining from your face removes, the gloom that shrouds each grave affair. This face of yours will never cease to gleam, although the face of time may frown. Your liberality has granted me the gifts that rain clouds shower down on the hills. Your generosity has destroyed your wealth until you reached the height at which you aimed. When Duban had finished these lines, the king stood up and embraced him, and seated him by his side. Services of food were then spread before him, and the sage ate with the king, and remained his guest all day. And when the night approached, the king gave him two thousand pieces of gold, besides dresses of honours and other presents, and mounted him on his own horse and so the sage returned to his house and the king was astonished at his kill saying this man hath cured me by an external process without anointing me with ointment By Allah, this is consummate science, and it is incumbent on me to bestow favours and honours upon him, and to make him my companion and familiar friend as long as I live. He passed the night happy and joyful on account of his recovery, and when he arose, he went forth again and sat upon his throne. The officers of his court standing before him, and the emirs and viziers sitting on his right hand and on his left, and he called for Sage Duban who came and kissed the ground before him. And the king rose and seated him by his side, and ate with him, and greeted him with compliments. He bestowed upon him again a robe of honor and other presents, and after conversing with him till the approach of night, gave orders that five other robes of honors should be given to him and a thousand pieces of gold. And the sage departed and returned to his house. Again, when the next morning came, The king went as usual to his council chambers, and the emirs and viziers and chamberlains surrounding him. Now there was among his viziers one of ill aspect, and of evil star, sordid, avaricious, and of an envious and malicious disposition. And when he saw that the king had made the sage Duban his friend, and bestowed upon him these favours, he envied him this distinction, and mediated evil against him, agreeably with the adage which saith, There is no one void of envy, and another which saith, Tyranny lurked in the soul, power manifested, And weakness concealeth. So he approached the king, and kissed the ground before him, and said, O king of the age, thou art he whose goodness extend to all men, and I have an important piece of advice to give thee. If I were to conceal it from thee, I should be a base-born wretch. Therefore, if thou order me to impart it, I will do so. The king, disturbed by these words of the vizier, said, What is thy advice? He answered, O glorious king, it hath been said by the ancient, he who looketh not to results, fortune will not attend him. Now I have seen the king in a way that is not right, since he hath bestowed favours upon his enemy, and upon him who desireth the downfall of his dominion. He hath treated him with kindness, and honoured him with the highest honours, and admit him to the closest intimacy. I therefore fear for the king, the troubled consequence of this conduct. At this the king was troubled, and his countenance changed, and he said, Who is he whom thou regardest as my enemy, and to whom I showed kindness? He replied, O king, if thou hast been asleep, awake. I allude to the sage Duban." the king said, He is my intimate companion, and the dearest of men in my estimation. For he restored me by a thing that I merely held in my hand, and cured me of my disease which the physicians were unable to remove. And there is not now to be found one like to him in the whole world, from west to east. Wherefore, then, dost thou utter these words against him. I will from this day appoint him a regular salary and maintenance, and give him every month a thousand pieces of dinar, and if I give him a share of my kingdom, it were but a small thing to do unto him. I do not think that thou hast said this from any other motive than that of envy. If I did what thou desirest, I should repent after it, as the man repented who killed his parrot. The Story of the Husband and the Parrot there was a certain merchant, of an excessively jealous disposition, having a wife endowed with perfect beauty, who had prevented him from leaving his home, but an event happened which obliged him to make a journey, and when he found his doing so to be indispensable, he went to the market in which birds were sold, and bought a parrot, which he placed in his house to act as a spy, that on his return she might inform him of what passed during his absence, for this parrot was cunning and intelligent, and remembered whatever she heard. So when he had made his journey and accomplished his business, he returned and caused the parrot to be brought to him, and asked her respecting the conduct of his wife. She answered, Thy wife has a lover who visited her every night during thy absence, and when the man heard this, he fell into a violent rage and went to his wife and gave her a severe beating. The woman imagined that one of the female slaves had informed him of what had passed between her and her paramour during his absence. She therefore called them together and made them swear, and they all swore that they had not told their master anything of the matter. but confessed that they had heard the parrot relate to him what had passed. Having thus established on the testimony of the slaves the fact of the parrot having informed her husband of her intrigue, she ordered one of these slaves to grind with a handmill under the cage, another to sprinkle water from above, and a third to move a mirror from side to side, during the next night on which her husband was absent, and on the following morning, when the man returned from an entertainment at which he had been present, and inquired again of the parrot what had passed that night during his absence. The bird answered, O my master, I could neither see nor hear anything, on account of the excessive darkness and thunder and lightning and rain. Now this happened during summer, so he said to her, What strange words are these? It is now summer, when nothing of what thou hast described ever happens. The parrot, however, swore by Allah the Great that what she had told was true, and that it so happened, upon which the man, not understanding the case, nor knowing the plot, became violently enraged, and took out the bird from the cage, and threw her down upon the ground with such violence that he killed her. But after some days, one of his female slaves informed him of the truth, yet he would not believe it, until he saw his wife's paramour going out from his house when he drew his sword and slew the traitor by a blow on the back of his neck and so he did to his treacherous wife and thus both of them went laden with the sin which they had committed to the fire and the merchant discovered that the parrot had informed him truly of what she had seen, and he mourned grievously for her loss. King Yunnan said, You may accuse him, but today I am going to assign him pay and allowances with a monthly income of a thousand dinars, while even if I divided my kingdom with him, this would be too little. I think it is envy that has made you say this. Reminding me of the story of King Sinbad. Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Night 5. The story of King Sinbad and his falcon. When it was the fifth night, Dunyazad asked her sister to finish the story if she was not too sleepy. And Shehrazad said, I have heard, O oh fortunate king, that King Yunan accused his vizier of being jealous of Duban and wanting to have him killed. Then after that I would regret it, Yunan said, as King Sinbad regretted killing his falcon. Excuse me, your majesty, said the vizier, but how was that? Yunan went on. You must know that there was a Persian king with a passion for amusement and enjoyment who had a fondness for hunting. He had reared a falcon which was his constant companion by day and night, and which would spend the night perched on his wrist. He would take it hunting with him, and he had a golden bowl made for it, which he hung around its neck, and from which it could drink. One day, the chief falconer came to where the king was sitting, and told him that it was time to go out hunting. The king gave orders and went off with the falcon on his wrist until he and his party reached a wadi, where they spread out their hunting cordon. Trapped in this was a gazelle, and the king threatened that anyone who allowed it to leap over his head would be put to death. When the cordon was narrowed, the gazelle came to where the king was posted, supported itself on its hind legs, and placed its fore legs on its chest, as though it was kissing the ground before him. He bent his head towards it, and it then jumped over him, making for the open country. He noticed that his men were looking at him and winking at each other, and when he asked his vizier what this meant, the man exclaimed, They are pointing out that you said if anyone let the gazelle jump over his head, he would be killed. The king then swore that he would hunt it down, and he rode off in pursuit, following the gazelle until he came to a mountain. There it was about to pass through a cleft, when the king loosed his falcon at it, and the bird clawed at its eyes, blinding and dazing it, so that the king could draw his mace and knock it over with a single blow. He then dismounted and cut its throat, after which he skinned it and tied it to his saddle-bow. As this was in the noonday heat and the region was desolate and waterless, both the king and his horse were thirsty by now. The king scouted around and discovered a tree from what looked like liquid butter was dripping. Wearing a pair of kid gloves, he took the bowl from the falcon's neck, filled it with this liquid and set it in front of the bird, but it knocked the bowl and overturned it. The king took it and filled it again, thinking that the falcon must be thirsty, but the same thing happened when he put it down a second time. This annoyed him, and he went a third time to fill the bowl and take it to his horse, but this time the falcon upset it with its wing. The king cursed it, exclaiming, You unluckiest of birds, you have stopped me drinking, and have stopped yourself and the horse. He then struck its wing with a blow from his sword, but the bird raised its head as though to say by its gesture, Look at the top of the tree. The king raised his eyes, and what he saw there was a brood of wipers whose poison was dripping down. Immediately regretting what he had done, he mounted his horse and rode back to his pavilion, bringing with him the gazelle which he handed to the cook, telling him to take it and roast it. As he sat on his chair with the falcon on his wrist, it drew its last breath and died, leaving its master to exclaim with sorrow for having killed it when it had saved his life. So ends the story of King Sinbad. When the vizier heard these words of King Yunan, he said, O king of great dignity! What hath this crafty sage, this man from whom naught but mischief proceedeth, done unto me that I should be his enemy, and speak evil of him, and plot with thee to destroy him? I inform thee, respecting him in compassion for thee, and in fear of his despoiling thee of thy happiness, and if my words be not true, destroy me, as the vizier of S. Sindibad was destroyed. The king answered, How was that? And the vizier thus answered. The story of the envious vizier, and the prince, and the gullah." The king above mentioned had a son who was ardently fond of the chase, and he had a vizier whom he charged to be always with his son wherever he went. One day the son went forth to hunt, and his father's vizier was with him, and as they rode together, they saw a great wild beast, upon which the vizier ex- exclaimed to the prince, Away after this wild beast! The king's son pursued it until he was out of sight of his attendants, and the beast also escaped before his eyes in the desert. And while the prince wandered in perplexity, not knowing whether to direct his course, he met in his way a damsel who was weeping, he said to her, Who art thou? And she answered, I am a daughter of one of the kings of India. I was in the desert, and slumber overtook me, and I fell from my horse in a state of insensibility, and being thus separated from my attendants, I lost my way. The prince, on hearing this, pitied her forlorn state and placed her behind him on his horse. And as they proceeded, they passed by a ruin, and the damsel said to him, O my master, I would alight here for a little while. The prince therefore lifted her from his horse at this ruin, but she delayed so long to return, that he wondered wherefore she had loitered to, and entering after her without her knowledge, perceived that she was a ghuleh, And heard her say, My children, I have brought you today a fat young man, on which they exclaimed, Bring him in to us, O mother, that we may fill our stomachs with his flesh. When the prince heard their words, he felt assured of destruction, the muscles of his sides quivered, and fear overcame him, and he retreated gule then came forth, and seeing that he appeared alarmed and fearful, and that he was trembling, said to him, Wherefore dost thou fear? He answered, I have an enemy of whom I am in fear. The gule said, Thou assertest thyself to be the son of a king. He replied, Yes. Then said she, Wherefore dost thou not give some money to thine enemy, and so conciliate him? He answered, He will not be appeased with money, nor with anything but life, and therefore I do fear him, I am an injured man. She said to him, If thou be an injured man, as thou affirmest, beg aid of Allah against thine oppressor, and he will avert from thee his mischievous design, and that of every other person whom thou fearest. Upon this therefore. The prince raised his head towards heaven, and said, O thou who answered the distress when he prayeth to thee and dispel evil, assist me, and cause my enemy to depart from me, for thou art able to do whatsoever thou wilt. And the ghoul no sooner heard his prayer than she departed from him. The prince then returned to his father, and informed him of the conduct of the vizier upon which the king gave orders that the minister should be put to death. And thou, O king, continued the vizier of King Yunnan, if thou trust in this sage, he will kill thee in the most foulest manner. If thou continue to bestow favours upon him, and to make him thine intimate companion, he will plot thy destruction. Does thou... Not see that he hath cured thee of the disease by external means, by a thing that thou heldest in thy hand. Therefore thou art not secure against his killing thee, by a thing that thou shalt hold in the same manner. King Yunan answered, Thou hast spoken truth, the case is as thou hast said, O faithful vizier. It is probable that this sage came as a spy to accomplish my death. And if he cured me by a thing I held in my hand, he may destroy me by a thing that I may smell. What then, O vizier, shall be done respecting him? The vizier answered, Send him immediately, and desire him to come hither. And when he is come, strike off his head, and so shalt thou avert from thee his evil design, and be secure from him. Betray him before he betray thee, the king answered. Thou hast spoken right. Immediately, therefore, he sent for the sage who came, full of joy, not knowing what the compassionate had decreed against him. This was, as a poet said, you who fear your fate, be at your ease. Entrust your affairs to him who has stretched out the earth what is decreed by fate will come about and you are safe from what is not decreed duban the wise came into the presence of the king and recited if i fail any day to render thee due thanks tell me for whom i have composed my verse and prose thou hast loaded me with favours unsolicited bestowed without delay on thy part or excuse. How then should I abstain from praising thee as thou deservest, and lauding thee both with my heart and voice? Nay, I will thank thee for thy benefits conferred upon me, they are light upon my tongue, though weighty to my back. And also the following, avert thy face from trouble and from care, and trust in God to order thine affair. Rejoice in happy fortune near at hand, in which thou shalt forget the woes that were. Full many a weary and a troublous thing is, in its issue, solaceful and fair. Allah orders, all according to His will, oppose Him not in what He doth prepare. And these also, trust thine affairs to the subtle, to Allah that knoweth all, and rest at peace from the world, for nothing shall thee appall. Know that the things of the world not as thou willest befell, but as the great Allah orders to whom all kings are thrall. And lastly, these, take heart and rejoice, and forget thine every woe, for even the wit of the wise is eaten away by care. What shall, thought-taking profit a helpless, powerless slave, leave it, and be at peace in joy, enduring for ever? Knowest thou, said the king, wherefore I have summoned thee? The sage answered, none knoweth what is secret but Allah, whose name be exalted. Then said the king, I have summoned thee that I may take away thy life. The sage, in utmost astonishment at this announcement, said, O king, wherefore thouest would kill me, and what offence has been committed by me? The king answered, It hath been told me that thou art a spy, and that thou hast come hither to kill me, but I will prevent thee from killing by killing thee first. And so saying, he called out to the executioner, Strike off the head of this traitor, and relieve me of his wickedness. Spare me, said the sage, and so may Allah spare thee, and destroy me not, lest Allah destroy thee, like I did, O jinn, but thou wouldest not let me go, desiring to destroy me. King Yunan then said to the sage Duban, I shall not be secure unless I kill thee, for thou curest me by a thing that I held in my hand, and I have no security against thy killing me by a thing that I may smell, or by some other means. O king, said the sage, is this my recompense from thee? Dost thou return evil for good? The king answered, Thou must be slain without delay. When the sage therefore was convinced that the king intended to put him to death, and that his faith was inevitable, he lamented the benefit that he had done to the undeserving. The executioner then advanced, and bandaged his eyes, and having drawn his sword, said, Give me permission. Upon this the sage wept, and again said, Spare me, and so may Allah spare thee, and destroy me not, lest Allah destroy thee. Wouldest thou return me the recompense of the crocodile? What, said the king, is the story of the crocodile? The sage answered, I cannot relate it while in this condition, but I conjure thee by Allah to spare me, and so may he spare thee. And he wept bitterly. Welcome to the vocabulary section of episode three. First, we will look at some terms used in this episode. Sakhr, a giant jinn and master of the sea said to have obtained Suleiman's ring and threw it out into the sea, closed in a chest of iron with Suleiman's seal, only to open when judgment day occurs. Asaf, Islamic scriptural figure who brought Queen Sheba's throne to King Suleiman. He himself is unexpounded as very few references to him are found in classical texts except in chapter 27 of the Quran. He appears in a number of books in the Ruhania or Islamic occultism. Umm Amir is a commonly used term in Arabic to refer to the hyena. Gul-e, a female ghul who eats men. Wolves are demon-like beings or monstrous humanoids associated with graveyards and consumption of human flesh. They dwell in cemeteries and other uninhabited places. Emir, a Muslim, usually an Arab, military commander, or a local chief. Now, on to vocabulary. Winnowing forks, a pitchfork used to winnow rice or grain from chaff. Winnow. To blow a current of air through grain. Remote, implying malediction, is a magical word or phrase uttered with the intention of bringing about evil or destruction. Recompense, make amends to someone for loss or harm suffered. Baseness, lack of moral principles or bad character. Syriac, the language of ancient Syria. Injurious causing or likely to cause damage or harm. Vestige, a trace of something that is disappearing or no longer exists. Sordid, involving ignoble actions and motives, arousing moral distaste and contempt. Avaricious, having or showing an extreme greed for wealth or a material gain. Disposition, a person's inherent qualities of mind and character. Mediated. Think deeply or carefully about something. Counterance. A person's face or facial expression. Despoiling. Steal or violently remove valuable or attractive possessions from plunder. Perplexity. Inability to deal with or understand something complicated or unaccountable. Conciliate. Stop someone from being angry or discontented. Placate. Or pacify perfidy deceitfulness or untrustworthiness paramour a lover especially the illicit partner of a married person a light descend from a form of transport if you would like to donate to help this broadcast although it is not necessary to do so in the great constant will soon have a Patreon, PayPal, and other avenues of donations set up soon. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.